Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. So today we're wrapping up our series we've been on called The Family Tree. And um, today we're going to be talking about bearing fruit, passing on the faith. Now, there are things that get passed on from um, generation to generation through our families, uh, all kinds of different things. I've met uh, people that in their family, there's like doctors. Everybody's a doctor. You know, the, the previous generation were doctors. Um, I hired a, a, a plumber recently, and he told me, he said, yeah, we, we are like five generations of being plumbers. Five generations. And when I got his bill, I realized why. But at any rate... Um, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> this wasn't that you couldn't do anything else. You just realized where the money was. At any rate, but five generations. And of course, that happens with businesses as well. Generation after generation after generation. It's just common that there are things that get passed down like that. Of course, there's our biology that gets passed down. Hair color, eye color, DNA, the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of that. And then there's talent. Sometimes we meet families where it's like, oh, everybody's an artist and, and it's generational that they have artistic gifts or, or they're a craftsman, they have a particular skill or, or maybe they're musical, everybody's musical. Uh, and those kinds of things get passed down. Of course, we wanna pass down things like uh, our character and, and, and those kinds of issues. But obviously, as a parent especially, faith is so important to be passed down. And... Um, you know, as a parent, I'm not so concerned about perhaps what career my children choose, provided it's not a life of crime. Um, I'm not really that concerned about what hobbies they engage in, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in life that they can do that in the long run really don't matter. But you know what? As a pastor, I've never had any parent come to me and ask for counseling because they're like, oh my gosh, my kid wants to be an accountant <laughs> and can't golf. You know what I mean? It's like, there, I've never had that conversation, but I've had lots of conversations where it's like, I'm really concerned about the direction of their faith and where that's going. Plenty of those kinds of conversations. So what I'm concerned about and what really matters the most from, a, you know, from parenting is that they would have a clear understanding of who God is, of how much God loves them, and an understanding of what it means to know the Lord and discover his purposes for their life. Now, why does this matter? Well, first of all, it matters to God. If it matters to God, it should matter to us, right? Second of all, it matters because of eternity. Jesus has provided forgiveness, the promise of heaven and eternal life. Thirdly, it matters because you and I were made with purpose and God's purpose, I truly believe, is literally the greatest thing that you could ever possibly live for on planet Earth or experience in life to connect with the purposes of God in your life. This matters because the other reason is because their character and many choices that they will make in life are going to be decided out of where they're at with God whether they're close with God and really walking with God or whether they're in rebellion with God, it's going to make a difference in the choices that they're gonna make. But here's the question. How do we pass down faith? 
And probably more accurately, I would say it this way. What is the best way that we can create the best possible, if you will, on-ramp to their own choice because each of our kids have to make their own choice when it comes to Jesus. And I say it that way simply because of the fact that it's all their own choices. Now, obviously I started talking about parenting. Obviously I started talking about children. So here's what I need to say to you, and that is this. If you're in one of the following categories, you're single, you're married without kids, uh, you're married and you're an empty nester, uh, you're maybe single again. In other words, you're not necessarily, oh yeah, I've got kids at home. You know, I don't. Here's what I want to say to you. Please don't check out because there are principles that I'm going to be talking to you about that will impact your influence for your friends and your family in regard to their faith in Jesus. So these are not like things that we're going to talk about where it's like, oh great, I wasn't that couple sitting there with you know a five-year-old and a seven-year-old at home you know, kind of thing. It wasn't my day to be in church. No, these are principles that impact how God will use you in the lives of others. You know, Jesus was being criticized for how he related to people, specifically people that the uh, religious community would call sinners or, or people that were far from God. He was being criticized for the fact that he would take time to sit with them, to eat with them and, and, and talk to them. And, and then following that criticism in Luke chapter 15, the Bible goes into three stories that Jesus uses to illustrate the incredible value that God places on salvation. And the last of these three stories is about a father with two sons. And I wanna use this as kind of the backdrop of what we're gonna talk about here today. And so as I share Luke chapter 15 with you, as I share some of that story with you, and you know, for you, you might be very familiar with it. Uh, for others, it might be like, oh, this is new. I've never heard this story before. But we're gonna look at it through the eyes of parenting and uh, what we can learn about passing on faith from that. So just to summarize a little bit of the story, first of all, we have the younger bro. And what he does is he asks for his share of the inheritance, and then he leaves home, and he breaks all of the moral expectations that he was taught, all of the, uh, you know, this is how my family did life or whatever. He spends all of the money. He's broke. He's hungry. He ends up feeding pigs to feed himself. And at that point, the scripture says this, he came to his senses, and then he returns home. The other part of the story is the older brother. Now, the older brother never leaves home. The older brother, you know, he does everything that his father asks of him, and he follows all of the rules. Now, I want to pause for a moment. If this is all that you know about this story, just what I've just shared with you, which son would you like your child to be like? Yeah. The older, right? I mean, come on. I just described this perfect child. Does everything mom and dad want him to do. He's at home. He's not asking for his inheritance, you know, early or something like that. I mean, he's this, I mean, when you just hear the story and hear that context, you think, older brother, that's, that's what we want. That's what we want. Why not? He stays out of trouble. He follows the rules, doesn't blow the inheritance. Who would want their child to go astray, make a whole bunch of terrible choices, and, uh, you know, isn't, actually, isn't that a parent's biggest fear? That that could happen. 
The problem with a lot of Christian parenting is that we're actually trying to produce the older brother. We're focused on producing the older brother. We're focused on, here's the rules. Make sure you're obedient. Make sure you're pleasing your parents. We're focused on actions over intentions. We're looking for the right performance, assuming that the attitude and the faith behind it is equally right. But look at what the son was really like when he speaks up once the younger brother returns home and the older brother is now coming home from the field. He's, he's out working. He's doing what dad wants him to do. He's coming home from the field and he hears the noise of a party happening at home. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 28, um, we pick up on the, on the story because he just found out his younger brothers come home. And that's why there's this party. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all of these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, the son of yours, who was squandering your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother's view of his relationship with the father or his relationship with God actually was living like a life where like God is master, I am slave. Master, slave. I've been slaving for you, he says. Boss, worker, performance is what matters. This is his view of his relationship with the father. He couldn't see the blessing of being in the father's house even. He's, the father says, listen, everything I've had, it's all yours already anyway. He didn't view his relationship as one as, of love and belonging with all of the blessings being in, of being in the father's house. He just saw himself as a slave relating to a master, a servant to a boss. He wouldn't celebrate his brother's return. He just viewed his brother as one of those people who didn't measure up like he did. So why would we celebrate him? You see, he didn't love what the father loved. How many know sinners returning to God is what the father loves? But he didn't love what the father loved. In fact, he was even offended by his father's grace and generosity. You know, offense is, uh, is often a sign of what's in you, not what's happening to you. You can have their obedience, but not have their heart. And this is what we're watching. You can have their obedience, yet not have their heart. They can be doing Christian things and yet being far from God when it comes to where their heart is. You can have, if you will, good kids as it were, but the question is this, where's their heart? Where's their passion for God? Where's the heart of worship? Where's their love for God's house? Where's their love to serve in God's house? Where's their love for God's word, the Bible? Where's their love uh, for what God loves? And where's their hate for what God hates? Where is their heart, not just 
Where is their actions? And you'll find that out. You'll discover where a child's heart is the moment they leave home, the moment they're no longer under the eyes and ears of mom and dad, and they can just do whatever they want. They're out, of, out from under the watchful eye of parents. They are truly free to choose. And here's what statistics are telling us. They're telling us that 67% that end up going to like university or college, moving away from home, end up also moving away from their faith. And we'd love to blame um, secular professors and um, I'm sure that that's not helping. Um, but the question that we have to ask is this, did they have a relationship with Jesus in the first place or was it just a form of godliness without power and the shell of Christianity? Matthew chapter 15 and verse eight says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Jesus, of course, is referring to religious leaders of the time, but it can equally be uh, referring to what we can produce in children if they don't get their own relationship with Jesus and, and stop seeing God as a boss and, and just uh, Christianity is just rules to follow, but instead see it as a Jesus who loves them and they love him back. Now, I'm not saying that we don't teach character and respect and work ethic and honesty and all of those things. But when it comes to matters of faith, the focus has to be about relationship because it's a heart issue. What about the younger bro? What about son number one? Well, truly, we don't want our children to follow his model because we don't like all the poor choices. We don't like the waste of money. We don't like the waste of time, the destructive path that he was on. But for a moment, here's what we need to do. We need to look past this actually short phase of life because when you look at the story, that's all it was. It was a short phase of life and then see what happens at his return that will impact the rest of his life. Luke chapter 15 and verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my, father's, of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now, what do we know about the younger bro from reading this bit of the scripture? Though the father didn't have his obedience, he had his heart. He had his heart. And when the party was over, the son thought about going home. That was his first thought. Party's over. It's turned to pigs. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> and what's his first thought? I'm going home. 
I'm going home. The father had his heart. It tells us something about what we need to have with our kids. The son knew his place in the life of his father as a child, not as a slave. Not as a slave. In fact, when he returns home feeling all condemned, what does he say? Could you just make me one of your hired men? Because they're actually having a better life than I am right now. The father celebrated and prioritized the relationship over everything else, including his mistakes. The father's house is a good place. It's a good place. My father's servants are having a better life than I am. If I could go back and and even just change my status from son to servant, I'd have a better life than what I'm having right now. Can I say to you, make sure that your home is a good place. Make sure that your home is fun. Where's the Bible reference for that? Well, this is pretty close. (laughs) Make sure that your place is fun. Make sure that being in your house is like the best. You know, just like like who wouldn't want to be a part of this? That's kind of the attitude of this son. It's like, oh, I came to a sense. It's like, oh my gosh, I should just go back home. Passing on the faith isn't like running a school. You know, school is just a lot of information. It's all serious. Who wants to go back to school? And nobody, unless you pay them, called teachers. But just a thought. Don't get offended. I still got 10 more minutes left, all right? But let me, let me say this because this is true. Kids remember how their family makes them feel. And how you make them feel is every bit as important, if not more important, than everything you're trying to teach. Now, in this last, that was the introduction, by the way. So have another drink of water and hang in there. I want to give you four keys to winning the heart of your child. Here we go. Your children should, number one, know that they are loved unconditionally for who they are, not what they do. For who they are, not what they do. I don't ever want my children to think that my love for them is connected to the approval of all of their choices. Quite the opposite. I want them to know that they are loved for who they are, not what they do. Now, why is this so important in the context of passing on faith? Because this is the love that God has towards us and towards your children as well. They need to know that you love them and that God loves them just the way they are, no matter what. I would never want faith in Jesus to be misunderstood as how to win God's love and conditional approval. That's not what faith is. The younger bro wasn't fearful of condemnation. In fact, any condemnation that he was feeling was actually just coming from himself, not from his father. What he did know is that he wasn't worthy of the kind of acceptance and unconditional love that he was about to receive, and that was very humbling for him. If the younger bro thought that he would only be even more torn down, even more shamed, even more condemned, he would have never returned home. And our message needs to be that the door is always open when it comes to our home. Number two, experience congruent behavior from their parents. Our kids need to experience congruent, or I put the word same, same, 
because that's what congruent means. Same, same behavior from their parents. What do you mean, same, same? Well, I don't have the statistics on this, but it's no mystery that there are plenty of people who have walked away from God because what they saw in their family at church didn't match what they saw at home. Parents who were one way at church, but different people at home. And that hypocrisy spoke louder to them than any teaching from scripture that they ever received. And they can't simply rationalize how that you can have Jesus in your life and yet be two different people all the time. The hypocrisy can manifest itself though in other ways, not just in in conduct that is super obvious where it's like, oh yeah, you're smiley and friendly at church, but you're a cussing drunk at home. I mean, that's pretty graphic, but it doesn't have to be that way. The hypocrisy can look simply like this that going home from church, you sit around the lunch, uh, having lunch, and you're having roast pastor with a side of shredded worship and mashed usher for lunch. (laughs) In other words, I'm talking about people who, when they get home and in their family environment, are just criticizing and talking about, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And, and why did this person do this? And why, this, why, how come this, how come that? Listen, you talk this way, you are telling your kids that church is not a good place for them to be. And then wonder why when they become adults, they don't wanna have much to do with it. Well, you told them how bad it was every time you got together after a service. As pastors, there were plenty of times where my wife and I needed to talk about pastoral issues Uh, but we never wanted to do so in the presence of our kids. We didn't want to cast an unintended shade on on the church over one little issue that we happened to be dealing with. So we never, ever had those conversations in their presence. Or if we were, we would just use like one initial as the code. And uh, the kids just made fun of us, but they had no idea what we were talking about. All right, how can we be congruent? How can we be same, same? Well, first of all, live out your faith at home. Live out your faith at home. You know, let church be the extension of what is happening at home, not something completely out of, uh, you know, completely different than what's happening at home. How many of you know, discipleship starts at home. Discipleship starts at home. Don't, don't, don't have an idea, well, I've got these kids, I better get them to church so they can disciple them. No, no, discipleship starts at home. It's about you reading the word. It's about you having the worship on. It's about you praying. It's about you engaging Jesus in your family life. Number three, lead them to embrace. What do the kids need? They need you to lead them to embrace the centrality of the word of God to their relationship with Jesus. The centrality of the word of God to a relationship with Jesus. Deuteronomy 6 verse five says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Then he goes on to say, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. I asked a father, I had a father ask me one time, he said, uh, how do I do a Bible study with my teenage daughters? I almost broke out laughing. My answer to him was this, you don't. (laughs) It's not gonna work. So yeah, I'm trying, it's not working. 
Why? He, I said, you're going to relate to those kids. You got to get them in a youth ministry. Let them be around peers and young leaders that they look up to. That's the context for them to be in a small group Bible study so they can hear the word of God. Not, not, they've come to a point where it's like mom and dad's voice, eh, not so much, but I'm going to hear from these people. As parents, though, we need to embrace the wisdom of Deuteronomy when it comes to how we share the word of God with our children. James 3.18 says, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, we should be looking at the word of God as a seed that we're sowing, a seed that we're sowing. That's why Deuteronomy just talks about all these different contexts in which the seed is being sown. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you're doing this, when you're doing that. And, and you know what? That's literally what you need to do. I mean, when kids are in preschool and they're very young, you know, we would read Bible stories every night at bedtime. It was so easy to sow the word. They loved hearing these different, you know, stories from scripture and miracles of Jesus and all of that, putting faith into their heart. And then as they became school age, I would just use random opportunities like driving them to school. It pays to live a little distance away from school. Just get a little longer prayer time with your kids. Driving them to school and, you know, we'd pray together over things going on. We'd maybe read from a, a proverb and talk about it. It's just that moment, if you will, dinner time, praying for our food and then saying, hey, let's pray for this situation. Let's pray for this person. Let's believe God for them. They need a miracle in their life. Teaching moments when things are going on in their world and you can just sort of pause and go, well, you know, here's what scripture says. I think this is what you should do. You know, talking to them about forgiveness. You got four boys, you're gonna talk a lot about forgiveness, okay? It's just the way it is. But here's what's important to know about Deuteronomy. It's not just all those moments that you find where you can impart into kids. Here's the starting point of that scripture, and that is this. The starting point is not teaching your children. The starting point is your walk with the Lord as a parent. The spiritual life that you have sets the bar and shows what loving God can look like for your kids. Because he starts by talking about you should be loving God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Having your own personal daily time with God and prayer in the word. Praying with your family over family matters. Having a prayer journal, writing out prayers together. What are we believing for as a family? Write it down. And then when God answers it, you can go back and show your kids, look, God answered this prayer. We've literally done that. How you handle issues that arise in your family that you choose not to do just as the world does, but you say, you know what? This has come up, but this is what the scripture says. This is how we're going to respond to this situation with our extended family or maybe things going on with school or conflict between siblings or whatever it is. Show how the word of God works in everyday life. Have a response of faith towards God as well in life situations. I just don't get it when the Bible is so full of promises and then I've watched believers come into, you know, life situations and they're just like, oh, this is terrible. I have no hope. You know, nothing's gonna change. It's all awful. I need to get on meds. I need to go for a whole bunch of counseling and, and, and then we'll see what happens. Well, you have a Bible full of promises. How about you get those in your heart and begin to fight a fight of faith towards what God says can happen in your world if you'll put your trust in him. Come on. I'm not saying there's not a place where sometimes, go ahead, I need a drink anyway. Um, let, me, let me 
let me keep from the ditch. I'm not saying there's not a place where sometimes people need medicine. I'm not saying there's not a place where people could use to talk to a counselor. But what I am saying is this, don't put the word of God on the back shelf. Get it in your heart and learn to fight a fight of faith for things that need to happen in your life. I wanna get the word of God to be central in my kid's life so they'll know right from wrong, so they'll know the wisdom that comes from God's word and they'll know what it means to have faith towards God, know what it means to press in in prayer and get answers to prayer, stand in faith on the promises of scripture and know that the Holy Spirit will guide them in their decisions in life, being able to walk with Jesus through every situation. Hey, we can't prevent our kids from having bad stuff going on around them uh, and, and all the rest of it. We can't prevent them from all of the pain that could be out there in the world, but here's what we can do. We can help them build a strong faith and relationship with Jesus to walk through whatever the world throws at them. Yeah. Number four. Remember, I said there's only four. I'm on the last one. Hang on to your chicken. Here we go. Your kids need you to encourage them to discover God's vision and purpose for their life. Encourage them to discover God's vision and purpose for their life. In other words, raise your kids to be difference makers. Salvation isn't selfish. It's not just about me. It's also about how God can use you to make a difference and to see the gospel impact others. The connection between being active in church life is just part of healthy Christianity. If the only picture that your kids have of living for Jesus is a passive faith with no connection to serving and involvement, then you can see why as an adult, they might look at attending church as kind of optional because they're not making a difference. They don't see themselves being used by God. We add value to our faith and the faith of our children when they see God using us and using them. Their service is now connected to a bigger picture called changed lives. Listen, next weekend, when everybody is serving, you're connected to a bigger picture of the hundreds and thousands that will walk on this property and, and some are gonna hear the whole message, some are gonna hear a testimony, some are gonna hear bits and pieces, but you are sowing towards changed lives. Faith becomes what you do not just what you know. I remember, uh, you better enjoy this because it costs me every time I use their name. But my grandson, Bricks, <clears throat> I was supposed to take him somewhere one time and, and uh, after church, and he was a little late uh, coming in and, and, and Veronica was with him. And I said, oh, Bricks, you're finally here. She said, yeah, he, he stayed a little later because he wanted to help pick up everything in his classroom after, after the children's church was over. And I said, oh, that's great, Bricks. I'm glad you helped out. And he says to me, he says, well, I figure I'm going to be a church guy one day, so I might as well start. <laughs> but here's my point. As a little child, he's getting vision. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. In other words, they just do whatever. But happy is he who keeps the law. When nothing matters, doing anything is an option. Vision is what makes our choices in life matter. And what I love about vision is really a couple of things as a parent. First of all, I get to speak to our child's potential. 
when it comes to career, when it comes to how God will use them, uh, when it comes to what gifts and abilities and capacities I see in them, I get to speak to my child's potential. You get to speak to your child's potential and what you could see God doing with their life. And the second thing is this, is it gives them reason to pray and to seek the Lord about their life as they grow into young adults because you've given vision to them that God wants to use them. And now the ball's in their court that out of their own relationship with Jesus, they discover exactly what that is. My time is up. Let's stand. Father, thank you for every family represented here. Thank you, God, for every parent. Thank you, God, for, for everybody who is in a, even in a relationship with a child, godparents, aunts, uncles, people of influence into the lives of children. We thank you for all of them. God, I thank you for your word just being alive in their heart as to the things that they can do to make a difference. Father, I thank you for using us to create an amazing on-ramp of faith that our kids, those little ones around us, will make quality decisions about Jesus in their life. And we'll discover what it really means to walk with you, to know you, to have your presence in their life, to hear from God, to discover vision for their future and how the Lord wants to work in and through them. Father, I thank you for that a church that will help them, a church that will serve them by helping them discover that, that God really does want to use their life and the tremendous value that they are to your kingdom. And God, may, may we as a, as a church, Lord, partner with families to bring about a strong faith and a strong experience in walking with God. In Jesus' name. With their heads bowed, I, I want to pray one more prayer. We, we, we read a couple of stories and, you know, <clears throat> about a couple of sons. One of them is often called the prodigal. He's the guy that sort of looked at church, if you will, and went, eh, I don't know if this is for me. And then just kind of went his own way. And then the scripture says he came to his senses. In other words, he realized this is crazy. Life is not better without God. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you've been coming to your senses and that's why you're coming to church. And today I want to give you an opportunity to pray and to say yes to Jesus in your life and to seal the deal that you're turning away from a life that is independent of God to a life that is all about following God. The second person that might be here might be more like the older brother or maybe you've just sort of looked at Christianity as being all about the rules all about following programs, all about living up to expectations. But God wants your heart. And there's a difference. And maybe for you today, it is about a day of surrender, a day of opening your heart up, saying, Lord, I don't want to just know about the rights and the wrongs. I need to know you. And I want to pray with you as well. With their heads bowed, I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer. But I do want to ask, how many here would say, Pastor, I've been coming to my senses and today I'm making a decision to say yes to Jesus. Can you just give me a wave right where you're at? I'm the guy coming to my senses. Thank you in the back. I'm that guy coming to the senses. Thank you. Second of all, maybe you're that person who says, I've always thought it's all about the rules and living up to expectations, but today I just want to open up my heart to really know Jesus. 
And if that's you, can you just give me a wave? So that's the prayer I need to pray today. Okay, let's pray with those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough that you would die for me. Today I'm coming to my senses. I'm turning from a life that's independent from you to a life that's following you. Lord, today I see that Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus, not just a bunch of rules and regulations. Today I open my heart up to you to know you and to walk with you. Thank you for being my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.